0: Oh, this is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm David Sims, a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other staff writers in our culture team, Sophie Gilbert.
2: Hello, David.
0: Hi, Sophie. And Shirley Lee. Hi. What's up? Sky. All right. Uh, <laughs> we're here to talk today about a new release in cinemas from... Pablo Lorraine from the Chilean director of such films as Jackie and No. It is a sort of uh, awards tipped biopic about Princess Diana. Uh, It's called Spencer. It stars Kristen Stewart as the Princess of Wales. It's a sort of fantasy biopic set over a weekend in 1991 when Diana's marriage to Prince Charles was falling apart and her relationship with the royal family was strained. And it's basically like, what if everything you knew about Princess Diana was all sort of happening in one weekend? Yeah. Uh, is the sort of basic premise here. Um, so it's been a bit of a divisive movie. It's uh, being thrust into obviously the sort of Oscar debate. Uh, is Kristen Stewart, is this her you know, chance at a trophy? Is she going to Enter kind of mainstream awardsy success. Uh, there's obviously lots to discuss about the way the film portrays the royal family and portrays one of the most famous people of our lifetime, and and mm-hmm. I, I, you know there's 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 lots to talk about. So uh, you know, what do <laughs> you guys think of the movie?
1: David, <laughs> you I sound know? overwhelmed. It's a little overwhelming. <laughs> you, you you sound like you are locked in a gilded cage, and we need mm-hmm. to let you out.
0: Right. Yes, I need to I need to dance through every room in the house. In Please various, do in, in various uh, fancy dresses. No. Guys, I know that uh, among us we're sort of like all over the map on this movie, and that sort of reflects, I feel like, the critical reaction so far and sort of mm-hmm. the friend reaction I'm hearing from just sort of anecdotally from people who've seen the movie. I've heard praise, I've heard kind of uh, disappointment. So mm-hmm. uh what do you guys think of the movie?
1: You know, I went into the film kind of expecting to see what I had seen in Jackie so I already like Pablo's work I like No Um, I think he's fantastic at designing a film that really understands uh, what a character is thinking um, and you know marrying that to a tone that he gets better than whatever script that he has Is she here yet? Not yet ma'am no Then she's late. I loved that this is a ghost story. I love that it's a horror story. I love that it feels very much like The Shining. (laughs) Um, And I walked away feeling unsettled, but I liked the fact that I was unsettled by it. You know, I don't think a general audience is really going to love this type of movie if they go in expecting it to be a traditional biopic. But I love that it was not traditional. And I like anything that's ambitious and not generic. Like, when I was watching it, felt like I was getting drunker by the minute. <laughs>
0: sure. Well, it's sort of getting you in its mood, in its headspace, I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah, it's so
1: woozy, and you start feeling like you're not sure what's being depicted on screen, whether that's reality or that's in her mind. And because of that, you feel unsettled, but you're also just drawn to it, maybe repulsed by it at the same time. And I like that this is the kind of film that just completely threw me for a loop. Um, That's the kind of experience I want from an art house indie. (laughs) So I walked away loving it.
0: Now, Sophie, I feel like you had a different (laughs) reaction to Spencer. You just saw Spencer, am I right?
2: I saw it last night. I really wanted to love it. Mm. I had high hopes. I really, I have to say, I loved... Mm the last season of The Crown, in which Diana's story played a very prominent role, I thought Emma Corrin did just an extraordinary job in that she she looked like Diana in a way that was very kind of ethereal and spooky to me, but she also made her feel like a person. Um, and I have to say, I grew up in England. I know, David, you did too. Um, I grew up in England and <sighs> In the 90s, there were a lot of people doing impressions of Diana, impersonations like comedy shows and stuff like that, especially when the famous BBC Martin Bashir interview, you know, where she said there were three people in her marriage. When that happened, you know, there was sort of endless... Diana Parody on TV and and the one sort of solid of, of people's impersonations of her was like the looking down and the looking up through her eyelashes and like she's a startled fawn you know
0: breathy I feel like often, often a very breathy impression was breathy popular impression, I
2: guess. very posh and and mm-hmm. I love Kristen Stewart as an actor and yet I could not I could not see her as anything other than Kristen Stewart doing an impression of Diana in this mm-hmm. movie and that's not even my, my problem with it I mean I could go through them one by one I will say the main thing is like you, Shelley, I love a weird movie. I love a gothic horror. I love a ghost story, and I felt like this didn't lean enough into any of those things. like at one point, I was like, "Ooh, maybe they're stuck in a time loop. you know when Diana asks for the wire cutters, and then minutes later she uses them to cut open her curtains, and I was like, you know they keep talking about past, present, and future, and you're like, oh, maybe this is weird. like maybe there's something extra normal happening, but no it it was just mm-hmm. a coincidence um." I think the thing that frustrated me most was the script and we have a we have an expression in journalism that is show don't tell and the idea is that when you're telling a story it's a lot more effective to let people see and deduce things from your story rather than to kind of hammer them home and my god this movie hammers them home you know they're like oh it's very cold it's very cold it's very cold and then Diana's like oh Camilla's wearing Charles's pearls are the same as my pearls you know over and over again the bloody pearls and just you could show me this. you could show me the cold window. you could show me people's frozen breath. You could show mm. me the pulse. You could show me everything I don't need to see this and be told I'm like, I don't need to be told this over and over and over and over again. And it just felt like hacky script writing. I'm sorry, guys. Um, i'm getting I'm getting fired up. i will I will stop now and let David say some stuff.
0: So the film is written by Stephen Knight, who is a very prolific uh, writer who has Mm -hmm. written, in my opinion, some absolutely wonderful scripts. His sort of breakout script, which he got an Oscar nomination for a zillion years ago, was Dirty Pretty Things, which is a great movie. Uh, He wrote Eastern Promises. He wrote Locke, which I've always been fond of. But he is not a subtle writer. Uh, No, he's not. You know, even when good.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. He is um best known for me for single-handedly writing all of Peaky Blinders which that you is, know I love I love yeah. Peaky, Bl- it isn't. Peaky Blinders Peaky Blinders is not a subtle show it's aggressively unsubtle I would say and and I think maybe my mistake with this movie was expecting a kind of nuanced take on female interiority and mental illness and expression of self and you know the confines of the English aristocracy from the guy who wrote Peaky Blinders where there's there's a lot of stabbing
0: <laughs> You know he's written good movies too he's written but he's You know, he wrote that movie Lockdown, um, the Mm, sort of uh, COVID heist movie starring Anne Hathaway and She Would Tell Edgy that came out on HBO this year that I thought stunk and had sort of the. I I had the problems with it that you're sort of describing. Mm -hmm. uh, Your problems with this movie, Sophie, that kind of like, you know. It's a lot of monologues about something I already sort of under, You know, like you've already communicated this. You don't need yeah. to. Do you understand they feel
1: trapped by the pandemic? Right, right there, <laughs> do you get like it?
0: Locked down. I, I do also. <laughs> I cannot not mention that Stephen Knight is also the co-creator of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which is yes. his, uh, one of his most forgotten and crazy credits, which probably earns him money un- untold money alone right he doesn't even need to go writing movies all the time but he sure does <laughs> do that did we
2: mention see the apple tv show where jason momoa is leader of a
0: blind no we didn't mention that still no still but he on also does write
2: that yeah check still out the, C.
0: the guy writes the guy writes the a lot i mean, writes- <laughs> I like spencer but uh i i i don't disagree it's a pretty blunt for script but it's being then like paired with lorraine who is this very like not to sound like an imbecile here, but he's this very like vibey filmmaker who's yes. all about mood and all about sort of, you know, hypnotizing the audience as Shirley was describing. So it's sort of a funny fit in that way, especially yeah. since I was sort of Googling around Sophie about this movie and like, you know, Stephen Knight is giving these sort of like gossipy interviews where he's like, oh, I talk to a lot of staff and there are some people in here that are kind of based on them. And, you know, like he's he's yeah. clearly... Into the sort of like conspiratorial detail of Diana, even though obviously this yeah. movie is not based on anything, yeah. any specific history, right? But whereas Lorraine, I feel like, is more trying to uh, paint a mental picture, uh, for better or worse. Your Royal Highness. Mommy.
1: <laughs> Family are all gathered in the drawing room. They are waiting.
2: Three days. That's it
1: the tension of the way this film was made, I think, is also what I liked about it. Because here you've got a really literal screenwriter who in the script, there is a character who says, like, you should not see conspiracy everywhere. And it's like, oh no, Stephen Knight, you're seeing conspiracy everywhere. But then Pablo Mm -hmm. Lorraine is the kind of filmmaker who is like what if diana is not a character but a soul and what (laughs) if instead of making this completely literal the whole film is elastic and so what if when you watch it as an audience member again you feel drunk and you feel woozy and you can't fully grasp what's happening and that
2: completely challenges whatever stephen knight thought he was doing
0: it's funny yeah i have
2: to say that woozy feeling that you mentioned is probably pretty appropriate for an English Christmas set movie because everyone is (laughs) drunk all Mm.
0: the time.
1: Again, I'm the one person here who has never been to Britain and has no connection to Britain. I have
0: never had... I grew up in Britain, uh, much like Sophie and I. Diana's uh, death in 1997 is probably one of the most memorable sort of moments of my childhood, yada, 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 like almost anyone from Britain and obviously lots of people from around the world. But um, yes, Christmas in England, Sophie even though I don't have them at Sandringham House, uh, does tend to be a little drafty oh, and chilly. Don't? No, I never, I never did that, but still. And I never had to weigh oh, in yeah. before Christmas and after Christmas. But, uh, you know, yeah, kind of chilly, a little dark. Uh, and yeah, everyone's just a little, at least a little tipsy at all times. Those are sort of the vibes.
2: Yeah, pretty much how it
0: goes. <laughs> Yesterday, you arrived after the Queen. I got lost. Oh, Why would could you get lost? You've lived over the hill for years.
2: It looks different now. Everything looks different.
0: You sure you went late yesterday because you were delayed by someone? The film is set in 1991, which I guess is sort of the, you know, agreed on moment, the marriage between Charles and Diana ended, right? They, they sort of officially announced their separation in 1992. Mm-hmm. This is Christmas 1991. So this is after 10 years together... You know the the end is nigh for them as partners. Uh, so she's showing up to Sandringham, which is uh, one of the Queen's many royal estates, and basically it's like no one likes her anymore, apart from her kids, obviously who who love her and she loves them, and those are the sort of mm-hmm. you know most tender scenes in the film and the chef. Uh, well, that we'll we'll get to the uh, right to the staff, right? But like, but in the the rest of the family is either basically ignoring her kind of talking about her behind her back or, you know, giving her sort of frosty lectures about, you know, how she's behaving and all that. So she's sort of an enemy in her own family. And there's this metaphor that Stephen Knight has seized upon that (laughs) Diana actually grew up in this stately home that is kind of on the Sandringham Estate, like a mile away from the big house. Uh, I think it's called Park House, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. And so she's got these sorts of... Longing for like uh, her nostalgic childhood and like the you know the life she had before she was drawn into the royal family, and she's she's constantly trying to get out of Sandringham and into this like decrepit old house, this like haunted Which, house.
2: Uh, it's interesting because I think Diana's childhood was fairly miserable. Mm. Her parents divorced when she was seven, I believe. Um, her father remarried. Her mother, I think, left the family. Um, like I, I don't think her childhood was anything to write home for and, and that was one of the one of the tensions in the movie for me this idea that she was sort of longing for this uh, great happy home that I think she never had
1: I don't know if she was longing for a happy home I think she was longing for a childlike version of herself
2: oh yeah sure innocent. that I mean, no, it was my read <laughs> that's why she throws tantrums right she throws fits it's Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is kind of a character in, in miniature. It's yeah. almost like a doll's house character with the dresses. and the...
1: Yeah, and I mean, it does become a little bit too obvious, right, when she does walk into this abandoned home and, oh, there's her old dollhouse. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I do see <laughs> where you're coming from, Sophie. Like, there are moments where you're like, oh, come on. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> you mentioned The Crown, and The Crown, which is written by Peter Morgan, obviously has... Fanciful elements and is imagining behind the scenes conversations and so on. It's not like the Crown is a perfect rendering of history, but the Crown is definitely going for more of a historical record. It's
1: reaching for credibility, whereas and it's this. It's, it's tr- just
0: like well, that's right. It's it's trying. The Crown is trying to place the royal family, you know, w- within Britain's political history, right? Like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the sort of arc of that. Spencer has, in as far as I could tell, not a lot of interest in any kind of historical record and is not even, mm-hmm. as Sophie's kind of intimating, that interested in Diana, the true and real person. She It's much more interested in Diana, the sort of like pop the culture metaphor. figure. Mm-hmm. Much like, yes. uh, you know, s- sort of similar to how Lorraine painted Jackie O and Jackie. like, mm-hmm. And Jackie, that movie, is very much about like jackie explicitly trying to craft her own narrative right it's set around Mm -hmm. an interview that she's giving it's you know it's sort of about her trying to uh cement the camelot myth post jk's assassination this Mm -hmm. doesn't have that plot structure but still like like this is like i feel like so many people think of diana and they think oh yeah before she got married she was this beautiful english rose you know the the pretty girl in the sundress like you know and so like the innocence of her youth mm-hmm. that's all like bound up in, in this sort of like fantasy she has of like, oh, like, you know, my my father and my old home and I, I want to like get back, get back to that somehow.
1: Like she embodies all these different elements of femininity and people saw her as this virgin and then people saw her as a ruined virgin. And it's about... All of the metaphors that are wrapped in Princess Diana, the figure. And then at the same time, it's like reflecting that onto the audience. Like, you're still watching because you're obsessed with this. You know, like, you're you obsessed with this interpretation of her. I just really love what Pablo Lorraine does here. It doesn't have the structure of Jackie. No, there's not much historical context here. It is very much about not even a character study. It's a soul study. Here's someone who explicitly from the first scene is lost. Like, physically, she's lost. She can't find Sandraham. Sa- Sandringham,
0: <laughs>
1: Sandringham, she, Sandringham. Um, she can- again never been a Brit. Americans
0: really love to eat the ham <laughs> in any. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No problem. Worcester
1: sauce. <laughs> um, she's she's physically lost. She's emotionally lost. She is mentally lost. He just uses all of cinema's visual tools to get there the time the the space the silences they keep talking about paparazzi but you never see them I actually found that to be a good touch you hear about everything that she fears right and you don't really you don't see them or you don't hear them the the royal family doesn't talk very much
2: it's all silences but Shirley everyone's always listening Brilliant. everyone hears everything did you <laughs> know that right. everyone's always there's like a sign in the kitchen there's everyone's a sign in the kitchen they you. can hear
0: you yes right oh I love that sign. Um, this film right begins with this pageantry of the chefs entering the Sandringham kitchens like a military, you know, like soldiers. I
2: love that. Scene. And I right, love it's the so beginning. good. And,
0: and Sean Harris playing the head chef and like blows a whistle and he calls them brigade. And mm-hmm. he plays one of the staffers in this movie who like shows a lot of sympathy to Diana, who talks to her candidly, like you know, because there's scenes where she's just sort of wandering around mm-hmm. chatting to people. And there's this sort of mini arc of he's trying to get her to eat, right? Like there's this sort yeah. of psychological drama playing out where they just need her to eat because, you know, everything is about propriety and she needs to show up to dinner at the right time, dressed in the right clothes, not show up the Queen and eat her dinner. <laughs> and so he's trying in this sort of like kindly if misguided way to like encourage her by being like, I'm making your favorite food. And I really like all that because it's it's a great way to depict like the inadvertent pressure even of like kindliness. Like he's not helping. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know he's not helping. Like he thinks he's helping I'm sure. But like, it's the different sort of pressure of being a symbol of like relatability and loveliness. Like also was on Diana. Obviously this movie is depicting all the horrors of royalty and like, you know, the pressures and all that, but like, also, the way that people were kind of rooting for her was a sort of pressure, too. Like, the staffers want her to do well. Diana was the people's princess, right? Like, she was the one that people related to more. She was more of a real human being democratic. than some of these people, right? But nonetheless, obviously, that's not really going to liberate her that much more than a stern talking to from the Queen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There has to be two of you. It's the real one and the one they take pictures of. You have to be able to make your body do things you hate.
2: Yeah, I I have so many thoughts about the way that bulimia is becoming part of the Princess Diana legend. Mm. Um, part of it has to do with how tropey portrayals of eating disorders are in popular culture and... I know the temptation to make it part of her story. And I have to say, I think The Crown did this really well, emphasizing how trapped she was before her wedding and how the, really the only recourse she had was was eating and purging. But I also think in, in culture, we have this tendency to kind of fetishize anorexia as a way of demonstrating control like in in literature and Mm. in the bible you have all these saints who don't eat and it's always kind of worshipped a little bit like look at this look how strong this woman is look how much control she has she you know she doesn't eat she's fasting and with bulimia it's the opposite it's always like a symptom in in pop culture of someone being too much you know like they're Mm -hmm. too much they can't control their appetites they're too wild and I think this movie plays into that with Diana a little bit this idea that she just doesn't fit in the royal family like she doesn't want to wear the clothes and you know, she won't do as she's told and she wants to have her curtains open and uh, she'll throw up her food. And, you know, Charles has that quote about, oh, please don't, you know, spend all evening in the lavatory. Um, And I just, I'm a little tired of this. Um, I'm curious if you guys had the same feelings.
0: I would say, Diana is the first person I ever knew to be bulimic. And I would imagine that is true of almost everyone in my generation. Am I crazy Mm -hmm. for saying that? Like, I feel like she was one of the first people to publicly discuss it. In a yeah. way that reached like a massive audience, just like almost anything that Diana discussed reached a massive audience. So it is so right. Like it's not just that she discussed that that struggle, but like it's like she, it became like you said, just kind of codified into the Diana myth, right? Like it it's became the legend. right, yeah. yeah, kind of this like crucial thing because it's sort it, of yeah. funny to think about now. But for someone who's so in the public eye, there's so much less Diana. Footage than there would be if she existed now, right? Now she would be constantly interviewed, constantly in front of cameras and stuff. The fact is, like, there's actually only so much, you know, so much of it is, like, written correspondence and overheard phone calls and things like that because it was a a more analog age. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I feel like all those interviews she gave have have just been, like, turned into this sort of, like, Bible that people uh, pour over. I'm sorry, uh, Shirley, talk.
1: No, no, I was wondering, Sophie, did you feel like the film was... Making her bulimia something that defined who she was,
2: no, it's more my and I don't even think the film did it wantonly. I don't think it was irresponsible. I actually think it was very responsible mm. in its portrayal of anything disorder, so I'll give it kudos for that. It's more. Mm. I have this general unease with uh, reducing people to mental illness. um, and I know it makes for good drama to do a movie like this where. She's fragmenting and she's seeing ghosts and, you know, evil butlers are playing tricks on her and leaving books in her room. And not her <laughs> <laughs> and it's the tension of the family Christmas. And uh, mm-hmm. so, she, you know, she won't wear the outfits and she's supposed to wear and go to dinner at the right time. And eat her dinner. Right, and she's and, resisting I,
0: control, right? Any control they're trying to impose. Right.
2: I just, I would love, I think if we're going to visit the story of her in this mm-hmm. moment, I want there to be a higher bar than picturing her at her lowest peak, if the, her lowest ebb, I should say, if that mm. makes sense. Like, I am fascinated in what the pressure of the paparazzi does to someone. And no one, I think, in that moment was more preyed on than her um, mm-hmm. or, or was more uh, exposed, mm-hmm. constantly exposed. Like, I remember there being hidden cameras in her gym to capture pictures of her working out. It was just constant being in the limelight and so i think if you're going to visit her there has to be a higher bar for doing it than just like imagine her meltdown or imagine her
0: breakdown right this Um, is the bigger quote right should like why why this movie like what you know especially is there's such a sort of glut of diana stuff yeah there's Um, a musical on netflix which i I have to say is
2: is the worst thing i think i've ever seen in my life with a musical it reduces scene. her to girl boss right girl boss Diana. yeah
0: uh, yes
2: <laughs> just the lyrics in that are really astonishing oh, about
0: no. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> right so there is that kind of question of should we once again be and it's like if you made a diana movie that did not touch on a lot of the sort of well-acknowledged struggles about her i'm sure people would then raise you and cry about like, well why aren't you you know like yeah th- what are th- you th- so scared the, of this is the thing about someone who has passed into lore, even though she mm-hmm. was alive during my life. Like it's mm-hmm. she's become this weird symbol of so many things. And again, I do kind of admire, but also <laughs> kind of can't believe that the approach to this movie is right. Like, what if all of those things were just happening all at once? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. right here, right now, you know, like and and um You know, if this movie did not have scenes in which she interacts with the ghost of Anne Boleyn, who basically tells her, like, go get what for, you know, tell him who's boss at the end of the movie, not to spoil... Well, Anne
1: Boleyn's entire point is that, Diana, if you're losing your mind, that's the equivalent of me losing my head.
0: Mm. (laughs) I'm just going to say, what does
2: Anne (laughs) Boleyn know about empowerment? Well,
0: okay. Well, let me go on an Anne Boleyn rant in a second. But but my Anne Boleyn point was like,
2: the
0: the high camp of the movie, the sort of high horror camp, Hmm. was the, the only way I could really grapple with it. Like if. I will say, I was dreading going into this movie because I was like, if this is a very self-serious biopic about how royalty was a gilded cage, I can't take it anymore. Like, I've had enough. We know. Like, yeah. it, it, I feel like surely there is nothing more to be said on this topic. And then stuff like Diana eating the pearls out of her soup and talking to Anne Boleyn, I was like, okay, I I much more appreciate this right, as surely, like you said, a Shining-esque like, horror journey. I appreciate Sophie's point that maybe it could go even like more gothic and bold and kind of garish. I know that's a tough needle of to thread. Obviously, this is the, you know there are boundaries of taste that I guess you could cross and people would get really mad and all that. You know, I which mm-hmm. is what kept me from like outright loving Spencer, but I did appreciate that. Now, just to speak to Anne Boleyn, though, before I'm <laughs> just done, <to> speak. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. you know Diana. Like, Again, look, it's a broad and obvious point, but like Diana does have. Anne Boleyn, you know, parallels in a way in that like her, you know, like Anne Boleyn, who was the second wife of Henry VIII, for those who don't know, and was beheaded. <laughs> History uh, lesson from David. You know, uh, after failing to produce a male heir, uh, Henry VIII sort of got sick of her and brought up and uh, trumped up charges and had her executed. But her daughter was Elizabeth, who does go on to be the mm-hmm. true heir to Henry VIII. Henry, Elizabeth You know, Henry the VIII first. did have, there were mm-hmm. two monarchs in between Edward and Mary, but neither of them lasted very long. And and in a way, Anne Boleyn sort of got this kind of cosmic last laugh that her child was the one who really continued the Tudor era, which mm-hmm. is fascinating. And Diana, I'm not telling any tales out of school, but Charles is a 72 year old man. He will eventually, most likely, be king of England, but he he will have a more abridged reign. And and Diana's son William is going to be most likely the sort of long lasting heir. Mm-hmm. Of Britain, so there is that sort of weird kind of parallel that I feel like Stephen Knight is trying to draw. It's a bit much, I think obviously. He's guys, giving that him similar too much credit. Yeah, no, no, no. Come on, come on. But, if I can make that uh, draw you, that you, line, you, surely I'd, he can. You can <laughs> draw that line. You
1: you you're drawing a very wiggly line, uh, but it works. <laughs> and I do think that this is a sketch of a personality. Like it's trying to excavate Diana, the personality, the kind of person who would. Mm you know, become this metaphor and have all this lore
2: built up about her. I don't want a traditional biopic and I loved all the ways in which this was a traditional. Like, I love this stupid pearls and soup scene and I (laughs) love the, just the kind of weird theatricality of it. And like I said, the way I I didn't know where it was going for a long time, I I genuinely thought it could be a time travel movie. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of wish it had been. Yeah, But I also think... (sighs) If you're doing a soul study, like you've said, Shirley, it Mm. was not necessarily a fully accurate portrayal of this particular soul. It was a portrait of a moment in time, um, a fabricated moment in time, in fact, where, like David said, Mm. everything conflates at the same time. I want more of a sense of the emotional realism of who she was, Mm -hmm. not just as a person whom things happened to and a person who suffered, but as a person who in many cases held her own
0: right mm-hmm. she's mostly portrayed as sort of under siege in this movie mental siege yeah. mostly but sometimes sort of <laughs> you know the staff are actually kind of leaning on her especially the timothy Spall character who sort of stands mm-hmm. in for like in my opinion kind of stands in for this you know a lot of brits have this sort of conspiratorial thinking about the royals mm-hmm. you know especially about diana's death and about like how they treated diana in general and you know right that sort of the image that they're like yeah the ex military mm-hmm. You know, valet guy who's kind of you know he he's watching her and he's got eyes everywhere and all you know like that this right, sort of like creepy paranoia of that mm-hmm. right exactly so the and I, the only times that Diana really gets to show a lighter side is when she's with her kids. There's a few scenes with just her, William and Harry, where she's mm-hmm. you know basically just being portrayed as a fairly loving, with it mother who like you know actually responds to them like human beings. But th- there is an arc in this movie of her escaping. That's the thing I'll I'll sort of say as pushback is like there's a version of this movie that just ends like on the most dire note because the audience knows like Diana in six years she's going to be dead. She never quite escaped the public eye. She never quite escaped the pressure, even though she did divorce Charles and she did exit the royal family. Like, mm-hmm. but this movie more has this arc of like she rips off the pearls. She. Uh, sort of storms out of Sandringham. She takes her kids to KFC. She's with them independently. You know, Lorraine and Knight are sort of choosing to emphasize the arc of like, for everything she went through, she did at least escape the gravitational pull of like all this procedure and pressure. Like she did get Mm -hmm. to be her own person.
2: And she got to be a mother, which I think is the point in The Crown uh, that it makes so well that she didn't want her children to be raised by Mm nannies. She wanted to be a hands-on mother and that was kind of strikingly undone at that time. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, those scenes with her
1: sons are some of the most like just it's so charming and I think it's so effective because we see the rest of this haunted house, you know, horror story that we're getting. Like those scenes felt to me like when you watch a horror movie and there's a bit of a breather. <laughs> Everyone's like <laughs> sure, figuring right, out. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know?
0: It's it's daytime and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. all right nothing's bad going to happen. Like, <laughs> I mean, because when she exits the movie near the end, you have this shot of Charles going back in the room with the rest of the royal family, the Queen and Anne, and everyone's sort of sitting around and they're just sort of like staring at each other silently. And it's kind of like, right, that's going to be the vibe here forever. Yeah. Uh, mm, you yeah. know, this sort of like, ooh, uh, they're stuck. <laughs> Silent um, <laughs> staring. <laughs> right. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
2: Sally Hawkins' character, her dresser Maggie,
0: plays Maggie, who's the sort of mm -hmm. sympathetic dresser. Her
2: rock, her confidante, in love with her, her gal pal.
0: (laughs) Everything, everything in this movie is so broadly metaphorical, and she's just that stand-in for like, you know, the the people who like adore her. So in the film, she's mostly just right this sort of sympathetic ear who actually will talk to. Diana and her advice is mostly just like stop acting so hostile and strange it's just (laughs) making it worse for you like that's but at the end they have this conversation on a beach where she's like you know I'm kind of in love with you and they just kind of laugh about yeah. it. And it's this very odd moment, which I know sort of vibed with you awkwardly, <laughs> Sophie, but I did appreciate that Diana is not like scandalized or like, mm. does does not really ask like practical questions. She's just kind of like, okay. Because like, she, you know, she
2: loves to be loved. I think yes. that's what the movie was trying yeah, to say. Sure. This is someone yes. who is, grew up in the emotionally repressed stately home prison of an English uh, aristocratic family and then went to boarding school. Um, And she just wanted to be loved. And so Mm -hmm. here's this woman who declares love, which is what she wants, and she laughs because it's so absurd, but also gratifying, I suppose. I I liked how... It seemed to come out of nowhere that it was so jarring because
1: that, like, the way I read into that, that is, right, the love and the adoration that Diana inspires, but it's also the possessiveness um, that, you know, this is someone that you could just out of nowhere just say that you love them.
0: Uh, We should talk about Kristen Stewart, uh, the star of this film, who, surely you wrote a piece about this. It's really good. It's on the Atlantic.
2: It's such a good piece.
0: Um, (laughs) Thank you. Has was part of the Twilight films, which were sort of at the time, this sort of punching bag phenomenon, right? Like they were a genuine huge phenomenon, almost sort of, I feel like it's almost forgotten how huge, but they were also this kind of butt of jokes, this sort of pop culture punchline, right? And so- in the last few years, she's become this sort of celebrated art house actress. She's been in all these mm-hmm. interesting small movies. I, I really love her performance in, you know, Clouds of Sils Maria in uh, Personal, Personal shopper. shopper. You know, she's yeah. inched back to Hollywood in things like Charlie's Angels and Underwater that didn't really like pan out. But like this, mm-hmm. this is kind of this like big moment for her where it's like, uh, on a wide scale, or people are talking about her in this very legitimate way. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. such a challenge performance. Like, it's such a yeah. difficult thing. So, like, what did you guys make of the performance?
1: I just think it uses her so well for a couple different reasons, right? It Like, she's kind of grappling with this whole mischievously meta casting that she's got going on she has also contended with being in the public eye not on the same level um, you know she, she became an actress she's not a royal uh, <laughs> but also I think for a couple years now she's been trying to figure that out by that, I mean fame and intrusion and everything that she experienced when she was in the Twilight movies. You see her taking roles like Joan Jett. You see her taking roles like Seberg and playing a personal assistant in Clouds of Sils Maria to an older actress. And so she's these are themes that Kristen Stewart is clearly interested in. And she really does have this like walled off quality that made her so polarizing when she was a teenager and, and in her young, uh, young 20s, in her early 20s. <laughs> um, I, I was reading this interview with Pablo where he says, there's something about Diana that we'll never know. And Kristen makes me feel like that. Like, you never know what Kristen's thinking. <laughs> Kristen's talent, I think, is like her interiority mixed with that innate mystery. It's um, it's just used so well
2: in this film. And I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, she's the kind of actor where I just love, this is going to sound sexist I just love to look at her Um, (laughs) she just absorbs my attention whenever Mm -hmm. she's on the screen she's she's so striking and and she does have that interiority Shirley like you said that just suggests so much and yeah it was sort of a little disconcerting to me that this was such an unusual role it felt bigger in many ways you know she was doing the accent and she had the sort of mannerisms and the you know, the hair and the staring through her eyelashes. And it, I'm so used to seeing her be understated. I think of it almost as like a female Keanu Reeves. And that sounds like an insult, but it's not. And I love them both. But, oh. you know, it's like the screen presence and mm-hmm. this very kind of understated, quiet, um, quiet embodiment of something that you're curious about and you feel like you don't quite know. Yeah. Um and I, the last thing I saw her, and I have to say, was The Happiest Season. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It was a, a, a gay Christmas rom-com mm-hmm. on Hulu, and I, I really enjoyed it. It was not what I was expecting <laughs> from her at all. But it was almost, you know, I, I don't know that it's quite the kind of movie that she's made for, because that that movie demands such mm-hmm. a big expressionist performance, <laughs> and that's just not her. Yeah. Um it was so interesting what you were just saying about the parallels between the lives and i was thinking about that moment when kristen stewart was photographed by the paparazzi kissing her director on the Mm -hmm. set of snow white and the huntsman just the sense of how beleaguered you must feel when something like that happens and Mm
0: -hmm. disrupts
2: your whole life and costs you as the villain and sort of seems to define the rest of your trajectory as an actor and i think she's done such a good job fighting back against that Mm -hmm. um and really kind of controlling her own path in a way that it resonates with how i feel about diana yeah yeah
1: uh
0: yeah i, I like her in the film well it's not my favorite case too. again i sort of shouted out my favorite case dues, and i love her in the twilight movies and i think new moon is one of the best breakup movies uh, of the last so whatever and- day, 10 years and, and she's so good at playing that kind of mannered emotion like you know which was so mm-hmm. crucial to those Twilight movies. And so that that's why I imagine, like, uh, Lorraine or whoever alighted on her for this. Like, you know, there is that yeah. sort of arch quality that you need to play someone so sort of ridiculously well-known. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think she's probably going to, like... You know, get an Oscar nomination when you know I, I. You know, it's that sort of classic thing of like you play a real person, you have a bit of a transformation that yeah. confers legitimacy or whatever. Yeah, that's it's fine got a and great good. Narrative going, <laughs> yes. Um, and I liked her plenty. Again, you know, I, I like Kristen Stewart, but it's more the sort of uh, atmosphere of this film that i enjoyed I, I i really just like this sort of dreamy uh, creepy <laughs> vibes that that that's that yeah that's that's yeah i'm all aesthetics these days to be honest
2: i will say the production design was extraordinary and the mm. direction i did really love i loved the look of it i loved the aesthetic i loved all their outfits and how like yeah. really uncannily 90s they were you know the giant earrings and the tweed blazers and yeah.
1: That's courtesy of the legend Jacqueline Duran, right? <laughs> oh,
2: so good. Um, like that that part was really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, more, it's more just the script that I have a problem with, the wackiness of it. Mm. I think Kristen and Pablo did the absolute best they could, but there are still, I don't know. There was still something missing for you. It's not even that there was something missing. I just, I don't understand what it's trying to do and why. Mm. And You're almost bringing me around, Shelley, because you've said yeah. you really have made such good <laughs> points about <laughs> mm-hmm. parallels and moments in time. But uh, I just found the writing hacky, like I said. Mm. And I having had these two takes on Diana from Men, plus I guess the Netflix oh, yeah. musical also from Two Men, which, you know, maybe we shouldn't talk about, but... <laughs> I'm I'm dying for a woman's take on Diana, I think. Not dying, I should not overag my enthusiasm for a Diana biopic, but it would mm. I think it would I, for that kind of emotional fragility and pressure and particularly like the pressure to look a certain way and be a certain physique and be the beautiful princess. There's a song in the Netflix music that's like, I'm a pretty, pretty girl. Oh my god, why am I talking no. about? This?
1: <laughs> So bad, but Sophie. You mentioned think, this musical three times. I, I fear that it's going to like pop
2: up, like Beetlejuice. It's occupied way too much of my headspace. <laughs> I just, I just would love to see someone who's not a man take on Diana as a character.
1: I would love to see Sophia Coppola's take on Diana, much like her take on Marie yeah. Antoinette. I mean, we're in this moment of. Anachronistic renderings, right, of historical figures. You think of Catherine the Great mm-hmm. and that they're all like, like Marie Antoinette was the urtext for it. Diana, we might just need a little more time.
0: <laughs> we, we, we I think we need, tomorrow. yeah, no more Diana takes yeah, for a while. More time. I, 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 I'm, I'm saying, no, 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 <laughs> uh, let's, let's stop it with Sophia Kovlak and do something else. But,
1: she is doing something else. I'm just tossing her out
2: there as someone I want to see
0: do. No. Right. No.
2: I mean, it would be cool if Shirley had that much power, though. <laughs>
0: sure. If she could just assign just, movies. Just, to yeah, assigning movies.
2: Well, way to go, David,
1: to not give me the green light. I wasn't even asking for it from you.
0: <laughs> I want wanted... Sophia,
2: if you're listening, I'm into it. <laughs> to
0: pivot to a game so we could wrap up the episode along those lines, which is... Pablo Lorraine has now made two movies about famous ladies, Jackie and Spencer. Does he make a third? Who would you like it to be about? Like, whose life would you like to see rendered in this gauzy, strange, hypnotic, horrifying fashion?
1: Okay, it's got to be a female historical figure who managed to not be identified by the man she was married to,
2: who is also tragic
0: yeah, someone who like whose public image, I guess, was sort of a major part of their celebrity.
2: You know, mm. I'm kind of fascinated with Nancy Reagan, mm. not necessarily as a sympathetic character, but as as someone who wielded a vast amount of power and is through less, her image, not just through her image, but through literally managing her husband as uh, as he mm-hmm. dealt with Alzheimer's. Like, a, I would love to see a, a real. Exploration right. of that. I don't know that this is the right marriage of artist and.
0: Well, subject. no, but I mean, but also, I just feel like, but Nancy Reagan also, she was so good at presenting. Myth making. Uh, the yeah. all-american sort of family through her and ronnie even though like mm-hmm. they had both been divorced and they were hollywood people and they used to live in a yeah. house that was created by ge which is one of the craziest things i think yeah, they had like all this weird technology <laughs> built into it because they were like sponsored it. but right? but right you know so get and and then right uh, like I, I suppose you could you could delve into the sort of uh sort of fantastical realm as you're t- you know, where mm. Pablo Rain's like, and what if we just kind of intimate XYZ? <laughs> uh, I, you know, they, so that's cause like people are sort of throwing out the lazy. So, Oh, Britney Spears, right. You know, they're sort uh, of thinking of yeah. like Jeez. women in the, in the public eye right now, but that, that's not a bad one.
2: Yeah. I want to see how, like, how did Nancy wrangle Iran Contra? <laughs> <Right.
1: laughs> I mean, he's interested in Anne Boleyn clearly. Mm. And, um, you know, he's already worked with Natalie Portman, who once played Anne Boleyn in a shoddy adaptation of the Philippa Gregory.
0: So you're saying reunite Excuse with me. Natalie.
1: Reunite with Natalie. Berlin?
2: Make a better Boleyn. Guys, why Why the focus on Anne Boleyn? There were five other wives. I feel like well, we never hear about Anne of Cleves. Oh, because, well, well Anne, Cleves her, Anne of
0: Cleves is was
2: boring. No,
0: <laughs> she's not boring. I, I am furious <laughs> that you said that. That's messed up that you said that. Anna Cleves rules because she comes in, she's been promised (laughs) to Henry through this painting, and he's like, She looks great. She shows up, she sees Henry. This guy's a disaster. Yeah. He he is in (laughs) terrible shape. He's killed one of his wives. He's, He's you know, burned the church to the ground. Okay, I
1: I take it back. No, but no,
0: I just what I love about Anna Cleves is she shows up. And he's like, hey, you're not as pretty as I thought you were, which is honestly very rude of him, considering, in my opinion. Also,
2: consider who's speaking.
0: That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, all right, Henry. And she goes, okay, well, you know what? That's no big deal. We can get divorced. And he's like... Okay. Uh, in return, you can have a nice big house and I'll leave you alone for the rest of your life and you can live out your life in peace. And she's like, that sounds good. Like, I would love to see the movie about her deftly navigating the guy who's like, I have chopped off people's heads over last. And she's like, maybe I could just get a castle.
2: Nancy Myers Definitely. could do a good piece about her life post Henry mm-hmm. where she has a big kitchen.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, okay, Anna Cleves yeah. just hung out. All
2: right. Yeah. Anne of
1: Cleves hung out. This should the should Farmer's we... Market. Oh, uh, I wish we all lived in the same city we should she was
0: be six literally <laughs> married to him for 6 months like it's it's pretty uh I oh got a
1: true celebrity wedding mm-hmm. it's kind of the dream
0: and then she lived six in months. Richmond Palace and had a great old time and died I want to look it up now died 17 years later so she had a you know
1: not a bad life a right. of, Yeah. yeah
0: Sorry, I'm a bit of a Wives of Henry the Eighth nerd.
1: <laughs> you know what I'm so psyched for? I mean, this, mm-hmm. they're going to adapt the Royal Diaries books. I grew up on those. I read every I one what those of those. Are. What are you those? don't know what those are? No, I don't, I'm don't, getting so either. <laughs> they were a series of fictional diaries <laughs> by these royals. And then he had to don't you lavery. have hard out? <laughs> I do, but I'm getting worked up and the uh-huh. hard out is in like five minutes already. Right, okay. Yeah, probably.
0: Uh, yes. <laughs> All I'll say is I don't know who he should make his next movie about, uh, but Lorraine has said mm-hmm. he does kind of want to like, quote unquote, complete a trilogy. And he does uh, say, quote, it will be a lady with heels. So he, he, he's like, I don't want to make these kinds of movies forever, but I guess I should make one more. Just Hollywood loves a trilogy, right? You know, <laughs> like they, they, anytime you can get like that kind of arc. Uh, no really is a great movie. I, that remains my favorite uh, no. Marine movie. No. No mas. And I do recommend no uh, his movie, Emma, that he made and finally came out this year, made a couple years ago, a Chilean movie about the two sexiest, stupidest dancer parents he ever did meet. Ooh, I love that! Yeah, it's a very, very crazy movie. Um, anyway, uh, I've never but met we...
1: any
0: other. Go on. No, go ahead. Uh, say whatever you're going to say.
1: I was going to say I've never met
0: any other sexy, stupid dancer parents. <laughs> 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 we were here to discuss Spencer. That does it for this show. The review is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. Our art is by Charlie Le Mignon. I'm David Sims. Thank you, Sophie.
2: Thank you, David.
0: Thanks, Shirley. Thank you. Thanks to everyone at home. What a sign off.